I want to start a new series talking about living under grace. And uh, I was gonna, I was gonna call out Reese, uh, my son. He's on the shotgun team, and we had a tournament yesterday, and got to watch him. But I thought it'd be good to start out with a little bit of illustration related to shotgun about grace. Now, hear me out, okay? So. He's getting better. He's been shooting for a couple of years, and he's getting better. And the fact that he wants to get better is a good thing, right? So, like, in the beginning, it was like pulling teeth to get him to go. But then he fell in love with it, and he enjoys it, and he cleans his gun, and he, you know, he's into it, and he's learning about it. And he actually cares when he misses now. And I, so now, when I'm trying to keep track of the rounds that they're in, I count how many he misses rather than how many he hits which is a good thing because then you come up with your numbers. And so he's at this plateau where just kind of in his natural ability, he is at a threshold and he kind of just always hits at this number, might rise above it a little bit, might rise, you know, fall below it just a little bit, but he's kind of got this thermostat set in terms of where his temperature is for what he shoots on average. And so he's at this place now where he wants to get a little bit better, but to get better, he's got to work harder. And so he's got to focus a little bit more, get the little, you know, it's almost like a golf swing. There's all these little things that he's got to dial in to get better. And, 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 and mostly the focus and in the moment, the consistency and, you know, just repetition. You, you just keep doing the thing because that thing is what makes you better. And the emphasis is you can get better if you want to get better, but you got to try really hard. And the coach is there telling him to work on this and put this, and it's like, if you don't consistently put forth effort toward every little thing to get better, you're not going to get better. And as Christians, don't we want our lives to get better? Well, guess what? It is nothing like that at all. Grace is as if that coach stepped in front of Reese and took his ability to shoot out and put it in Reese, and then Reese could shoot like that coach shoots, who hits like 100 all the time, 100 out of 100. That's what grace is. See, that coach can't do it for him. That coach hammering him or me hammering him from the sidelines can't do it for him. He has to want to, but then there's a different ability that he taps into. See, with grace, to be more patient, to resist sin, to experience God's provision in your life, to not get angry when you're riding down the road, to know what to do when you get that bad diagnosis, you cannot improve on your own. Right. Have you figured that out yet? Yep. I mean, where yep. you pretty much are where your best efforts can get you. Like most people are trying the best that they can, right? You're just trying the best that you can. And that's a good thing, but you need more. And you don't have it. You and your flesh and your physical ability are not good enough to live out those things that God has for you and wants from you. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea that there's kind of two dynamics to the will of God. There's what he wants from you and there's what he wants for you. You know, the will of God, what he wants from you is to live above sin, you know, to not fall into these temptations, to not, you know, to live uprightly, to follow walk in righteousness, to not give in to sexual immorality and drunkenness and all that kind of stuff, right? There are external 
behavioral expectations to the will of God and what He wants from you. But how many of you ever figured out you can't do it on your own? You just can't. And there's a supernatural power available that we can't intellectualize or do in our own strength that God gives us that we get to live in because His Spirit's now in, now in us. And like Ted said, we are righteous. We are sanctified. In other words, we've been cleansed. All of that stuff, we, we talked a few weeks ago about the idea of that root of sin, that body of flesh has been removed from us, which leaves us cleansed, sanctified inwardly in our spirit, in a holy, right state before God, full of His power to then live outwardly in a way that reflects what's happened to us inwardly. Amen? Amen. Honestly, it's pretty simple. Like, understanding what grace is, is pretty simple. You read a few scriptures, you see what it is, you have to go to church to get it wrong. That's right. You have to be religious to have the wrong version of grace taught to you. But, you know, we want to shift things a little bit. So, I'm going to read a few passages here. Romans 5.1. I'm just going to read a few, comment on a couple more things. Romans 5. How would you get justified? That's right. Oh, it says it. Good I was like, man, that's pretty good. And like, oh, that's in the scripture, actually. Uh, but faith in what, right? Faith specifically in what he did for you. You can't do it. He did it. You're in him. You've been adopted into the family. Pretty simple. You know, understanding doctrinally what it is is pretty simple, but getting it to work in your life is a whole different ballgame. But it doesn't come from getting better. It comes from faith. In other words, depending on him. So, grace works by faith. I'm going to read this, keep going in just a little bit. But faith is, faith is not your power to move God. Faith, you know, depending on your background, you've been taught different things about faith. And, and sometimes when we, you know, Jesus couldn't heal certain people in his homeland. And when the disciples couldn't heal certain people, he would say, it's because of your little faith. And it wasn't that they had less faith. It was that their faith was not yet confident in him to the degree that he and his power could do those things. See, faith is how confident you are in Jesus. Not how strong is your faith to move God to get things from him. How strong is your faith to make the universe respond to you. How strong is your faith to show God how devoted you are. It has nothing to do with that stuff. Faith is one thing. You are 100% confident in the character of God. Amen. So who is God? And, of course, that's the debate in church, right? That's why we have all these different denominations. Who is God? What does he do? What will he do? Why does he do what he does? That's where all these different denominations come from. But if you really want to know God, you look at Jesus, you look in the garden, and you look in heaven. Everything else in between is God having or given us dominion over this place, and we've messed it up, right? So, let's go back to this, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for us, uh, you know, that, that we've heard that for quite a while, especially in this place. But for a first century Jew, this was revolutionary. Are you, are you kidding me? We have peace with God? You mean that God who will kill if you 
don't keep the law and has all of these rules, that God, we have peace with Him? You mean we don't have to go down and bring the right sacrifice any longer? We don't have to live under this temporary atonement system where we have to try hard enough and even then we can never measure up? That God, really? And that was what Jesus, that's how Jesus upset the religious is He changed their perspective of who God is to the true God, which is loving. So we have peace with God. Say, I have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, you know, every preacher that focuses on... I'm going to push pause on myself for a minute. That camera's flashing. I don't know what it, why it is, but anyway. So verse 2, through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I, every preacher that focuses on the finished work of Jesus and helps you understand that you're righteous because of what Christ did, He is your sin offering, He is the one that makes you holy, He's the one that cleansed you, He's the one that presents you blameless to God. Every person that focuses that, focuses on that, kind of comes at this from different ways, but always arrives at the same conclusions from what I've seen. I'm using this one right here just to show this particular series. I kind of had this idea in my mind that I want to talk about this idea of leaning into grace. Everybody, everybody, everybody lean to your right for just a second. Just kind of lean to your right. You know, Imagine if there's something there and you're kind of leaning into it. That, that's kind of the picture that I'm seeing for this series. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. I've got a little bit of homework at the end of this to give you to kind of a mind renewal exercise uh, kind of arrest your emotions for just a moment, lean into grace a little bit because it's there waiting for you to step into and there's a power available for you to strengthen you beyond your own capacities, whether you're struggling with sin or you just want to see increase in an area where you're already doing pretty good. You know, A lot of times when we think about improvement, we get, we're so, Christians are so focused on sin. It's like, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, keep, let me stay here. So let me break this down for just a minute. So through him, who's him? Jesus. Jesus. We have also obtained access. So I'm going into something by faith. Faith is I'm looking at Jesus and I'm 100% convinced that he is who he says he is. My faith is a response to who he is. I'm looking at him and I'm going, yes, you are God. Yes, you are my righteousness. Yes, you are my atonement. Yes, you are the preeminent one. Yes, you are the ultimate sovereign. Yes, you are good. Yes, you are the exact representation of the invisible God. Yes, you are the one who forgives me. Yes, you are my elder brother. Yes, you are my eternal hope. Yes, you are. Come on the one who gives me salvation. Yes, you are the one who sticks closer than a brother. Yes, you are the one who loves me. Right? Yeah. Like that, that, if you want to get stronger in faith, yeah. become more convinced of who he is. Amen. Not what you need to do to improve, not what you have to do to get better, not what you're lacking. Because like you were singing this morning, as you behold him, you become like him. There's this supernatural thing that we can't explain intellectually. Your brain doesn't really get it, but as you behold Him, you become like Him. 
Because in spirit, if you've said yes to him, you already are like him. You look just like him inwardly. And when you look to him, you'll reflect him outwardly as well. And that brings him glory. Amen. 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 It's really pretty simple. But how do we lean? Like, so when you're, when you're about to blow a gasket or that favorite sin is right in front of you and you're like, man, you know, a, a lot of Christians just kind of accept a certain low-level presence of sin in their lives. And it's like, well, this is just my cross to bear. This is just this thing that I do and I've tried so hard and I can't get over it. And, I, you know, I hate it and it's killing me, but I don't know what to do. Grace is the power to say no to that thing and not white-knuckling it where you're fighting it all the time, but where your desire changes and it doesn't even have a place in you to bear fruit any longer. That's, that's what's possible. And the truth is, you're already accepted as if you're living that way because your acceptance is not based on your performance. Does that mean you should continue in sin? No. Okay, thank you. So, through Him we have also obtained access by faith. I'm walking in. Yes, you are. You are Jesus. Into this grace in which we stand. So, we stand in grace. That word stand there, it means to be sure. Right? It means to be rooted in something, immovable. If you look up the word stand, it's more than just, you know, I'm standing in a particular location. It means this is my, this is my footing. And so grace helps you stand. Grace helps you be strong in, in the place that you're trying to be. And so, and we rejoiced in hope. What does hope mean? It's a confident expectation of good things. In the glory of God. Glory is the Greek word doxa, and its most basic definition is view and opinion. So, by believing that Jesus is who He says He is, follow me here for just a minute, all right? I'm going to kind of break this down in different definitions. By believing that Jesus is who He says, and that's the work that we do. We renew our minds to labor to enter into the rest. There's rest for you. You're already at peace with Him, already at rest with Him, but the rest of your life isn't experiencing the fruit of it, but it can. And by beholding Him, being confident in who He is, you enter into this place where there's a strength in you and you have a confident expectation of God's view and opinion being your truth, like the way God sees things. So what is, how does God see things? Well, go back to the last series that we just preached and look at the inheritance that we have in Christ because everything that God has for you is, hand, is a handwritten last will and testament that He's given you in Christ. You know, like Christianity loves to preach righteousness and whole, you know, toxic Christianity, let me say, performance-centered Christianity, loves to preach righteousness, sanctification, and holiness as this thing that you kind of have to rise up into and attain, usually denoted in your own strength. But really, those are things that you've already been given that you actually just get to live within the fruit of. The perfect example is the, the prodigal son who was out eating pig slop and went back to his dad, and his dad was like, man, I've already got this. This, this is everything I have is yours. Come on in, man. Enjoy it. Clean him up. Give him, some, give him a ring. Put a... Good clothes on him, feed him the best of what we've got. That's God. Now, did that guy deserve it? No. 
but it's not about, it's not about deserving. All right, so I'm going to hit some highlights in Romans and then wrap this up. Romans 5, 9. Since now, say now, now. we have been justified. Now, see, a large part of Christianity, of toxic performance-centered Christianity, likes to segment justification, sanctification, redemption, righteousness, holiness, all these things as if, well, this part is yours now. This part is yours, but then you got to really do well to get more of it. And this part is for the future. It's like now, but not yet. And they use all these weird splintered terms. And it's like, okay, let's just look at it this way. All of that stuff is Jesus, is in Jesus. Jesus is all of those things, and he can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. Amen? You don't get better and better and better. You can't improve on what he's given you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what you can do is live more in it at certain times than others. But it doesn't change whether or not you are that thing. It just depends. That it changes how to the degree you're experiencing it. It's like a marriage. You know, you're married. You're not kind of married or more married. <laughs> But sometimes marriage is really difficult, and sometimes it's really easy and fun. What's the difference? It's the experience of the people in the relationship. Now, God isn't changing. We are. So everything we have in Him, we have in Him. It's secure. He, he talks about that in Isaiah 54. He calls Himself our husband. We are the bride of Christ. Say, I'm the bride of Christ. You are in the covenant because Jesus has put you there. And everything he needs from you, he will live through you. Now, this is what we're talking about. So how? How do we live in this? And it, this is kind of, a, that's where, honestly, words fall short. I'm going to paint a picture over the next few weeks. Week by week, there will be things we're not going to build up where I'm going to tell you this secret thing at the end. You're not getting there. I'm not going to get you to a place and it's like, I'm finally going to reveal to you how to engage transformation. Because <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit's job. You've been a preacher for a while. Can you like articulate it? No, you, you can't. I'm answering for him. <laughs> Just smile, nod. Huh? She got a <laughs> Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Did you know that you don't ever have to be afraid of God? Ever. How much more now? Uh, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, say more, more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We'll keep going. Skip to Romans 5.20. The law... Uh, was brought in so that trespasses might increase, just kind of framing what grace is, and then we'll talk about the, the life aspect of it, right? So getting a little bit of doctrine in place, and then we want to talk about how do we actually become empowered by it. So the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness have you been made righteous? Yes. yes, because you have faith in Christ. To bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the logical question is, well, then, you know, if you preach grace properly, the religious will always think that you're saying 
well, then you're kind of minimizing sin. You're kind of saying sin's not a big deal. Matter of fact, you might even, like I hear these people saying that they can do whatever they want to do. Well, what's the answer to that? Romans 6, 1. And I'm telling you, just memorize these two chapters, at least the flow of them, Romans 5 and 6, because when you try to talk to people about these kinds of things, these are the objections that are going to come up. And if you know this, you know how to have the question, you know how to have the conversation. And you just point them to Scripture and you let the Bible do the talking for you. I've, tell, I've seen so many people that get a hold of this stuff and they get excited and they get set free and they want to go to try to communicate it and it never quite really comes out right. Point them to Scripture, honestly. Just memorize Romans 5 and 6. It's not that hard. It's not that long. At least the high points so that you know how to have these conversations. Because most of the people that you're going to try to witness to or talk to about Jesus in this country have some sense of understanding but yet they don't really know what Jesus paid for in his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm telling you, your friends and family need to hear you clearly articulate the finished work of Christ. And they will then ask you about sin if you preach it properly. Then you answer with this. But no, we're not saying live in sin. Really? But you just, you don't know that you're a new creature. You don't know that you don't have to live in sin. You don't know that you're not a sinner by nature any longer. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you can't tell them that right away because their head starts to spin around and they spew green vomit out of their eyes and they call you a heretic. That was even funnier out of their eyes. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because the idea is where grace is or where sin is, there's more grace. Some people think, well, then, then I'm just going to continue living on so I can experience more grace. That's dumb. Say that's dumb. Yeah. Verse 2, by no means. No. What are those? Uh, we are those who have died to sin. How many of you would love to say of whatever particular struggle you have, on a regular basis, however socially acceptable or not your sin is, would love to say, it has no more power over me. Amen. How many of you would love to be able to say that? Amen. I mean, I'm telling you, it's possible. You're, uh, I have such good news. By no means, we are, we are of those who have died to sin. Say, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, performance-centered, toxic Christianity will strap a saddle of performance on you and make you run as hard and as fast as you can trying to get better and better and better and better and better, neglecting the secret weapon, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And no human other than Jesus can teach you that. See, that, that, that's where we paint the picture. We bring you to the place where soul meets spirit, where the Word cuts in, and then you have to kind of take the reins and, and go with the Holy Spirit from there. You yoke up with Jesus and then begin to walk with Him. It's that leaning into grace thing, you know. It's that idea of you can do this. You can get better. And you do have to put forth some effort sometimes to create an environment around you, have some barrier around you, have some margin in place where there's room for grace to be alive and an, an option for you to then lean into it. Nobody can teach you how to assimilate it. Like, like when you eat an orange, you don't, you're not controlling your body breaking down that orange and assimilating the vitamin C and sending it to your organs that then boost your immune system. 
You don't do that, but, but grace will get in you if you can lean into it and let it happen. So how do I do it? Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Louder. Holy Spirit, teach me. Yes, thank you. Because he will. He just will. I, you know, and this is the part where uh, Christians miss the power of transformation because we've put the Holy Spirit off in certain places and churches and we don't understand his ministry. We think it's weird to interact with him or the people that talk about the Holy Spirit are doing all these weird things. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, yeah, there are people doing weird things in churches, but the Holy Spirit is alive and active, and He is your source of power and transformation. Yeah. I'm pro-church. I'm just anti-performance-centered religion. Yeah. I want to see people actually experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, yeah. and it's possible. I've experienced it. So, uh, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. You were dead in your sin. Now you are alive in Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Who wants a new life? Let's just, a little bit more in this one, Romans 6, 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Again, say, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. Now, I, I hope that that's not just you reading a scripture on a Sunday morning. I want it to be a truth statement that you can say, I'm dead to sin because I'm alive to God. Yes, these temptations are in my life, and, and there, you know, there's stuff that comes along, but I just don't have to go that way any longer. And I'm not just talking about those dark, secret things that you don't want to tell anybody about. I'm talking about those emotions that you express toward others that you feel dirty after you've felt that way toward them. You know, gossip. I'm telling you, man, I've seen people get so torn up and just talking about somebody else behind their back and they walk away and they got to do five shots of VO because they feel so bad because they talk that way about them. But they don't know why they feel so bad. Are you with me? VO's liquor. I don't know if anybody... Whiskey, I guess. Uh, so, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That's the, like, you want to know how to defeat sin? Don't give it an opportunity to start to motivate you. It's no longer your driving root because God removed that body of the flesh. Go back and watch Circumcision of the Flesh just a few weeks ago that we preached on. God's removed, you know, that mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin has been removed. So when you look at Colossians 2, 9, 10, 11, and when it says that through a circumcision made without hands, he removed the body of flesh. That word flesh is the word sarks, and it has to do with nature. It's twofold. It is this skin, but what he's talking about there is your mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin has been removed. And what did he put in there in place? A new heart that knows how to hear him. And his spirit bonded with yours, and you're a new creation. And I'm, I mean, I, don't, you, don't you wish that 
Most Christians would get that. I mean, how frustrating is it that a large section of Christianity still thinks that we have either a sin nature or dual natures? Which means you've just got to give up because you're just going to sin because you're partly sin nature still. Well, you know, that's not what Scripture says. So how do you conquer sin? I love the uh, Bob Newhart counseling episode. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, it's like, stop it. Like, I have this irrational fear that I will be buried alive. Has anybody ever tried to bury you in a box? No. Then stop it. People come sit in the counseling office. You know, I just really would like to stop, you know, expressing this behavior. And I really just want to say, then stop. But why can't we stop? Because we yield to the influence of it. We think that there's some satisfaction that we're going to get out of giving into it. We have, a, we have this self-portrait inside our hearts that we look at and we say, oh, yeah, I'm an abuser here. Oh, yeah, I turn to alcohol here. Oh, yeah, I will never succeed because it's always been this for me here. And we look to that and you check who you are and then you go back to the world and then you display that behavior. Well, what if you looked inwardly and you saw, no, nope, I'm not the kind of person. I, I exercise patience rather than anger. You look and you go. Grace repaints that picture. It's a power working in you that repaints that picture and you check it and then you proceed accordingly to whatever you have written within you, which is why we focus so much on identity in this place so that when you need it, when the rubber meets the road in life, you look inwardly, because and this all happens subconsciously. You don't even think about it. You can look inwardly, and you have this power. You know, real transformation, when it happens, you turn around, you look, and, and you look, and you're like, oh, that was, that was weird. I, I, I used to blow up there, or I used to do this, or I used to do that, and I, I don't even want to do that anymore. You can't try to make it happen. In fact, the more you try, the more frustrated you get. How many of you ever tried really hard to overcome a particular sin, whether you still struggle with it or not. Now, raising your hand doesn't mean that you still struggle with it. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not calling you a bunch of sinners in here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you've tried and tried and tried and tried. Some of you right now are trying. People watching online are trying right now so hard to resist. And, and, and I'm telling you, there is a strength available to you from the Spirit of God that will change you in such a way if you will lean into it and let him empower you because he's there. There's more opportunity for you to choose grace than there even is to give in to sin. There's so much to say about this that I've, I'm kind of jumping around here. So uh, don't our, this uh, Romans 6, 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. How do you live under grace? If you're not under law anymore, which again, go back to that series we just preached, you're not under, you know, God's no longer holding your sin against you. The... the penalty, or in other words, the handwriting of ordinances, as Colossians calls it, that was against you as written in the law has been nailed to his cross. He took it out of the way. 
There is nothing that God has to hold against you any longer because He punished all of it in Christ. He dealt with every aspect of your failure in Christ. And the religious person would appropriately say, well, then we can just sin and get away with it. Well, why would you want to? That brings death and destruction. Why would you even, when you're hearing that you've been set free from sin, go into, well, that kind of makes me want to sin. Well, I know what's in your heart. I mean, for real. If you hear freedom and you worry about whether or not they're going to sin, you don't know the power of grace. Can we keep going? Uh, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So what is grace? We'll just go ahead and define it. This particular message I'm calling grace is greater than mercy. For those of you that didn't pass fifth grade math. I just I went ahead and wrote it out too. <laughs> Grace is greater than mercy. Sorry. So mercy is God's kindness to not judge you for your sin. There's lots of different ways to say it. You know, people have these cute little sayings. You know, mercy is God's capacity to not overlook your sin, but not relate. It's not that he overlooks it. He sees it. He's just already dealt with it in Jesus. He's not holding it against you. Those of you that are parents and you have kids, are you constantly hammering them about their failures? Are you looking at it going, I really wish you wouldn't do that, but let me really try to help you here into, because you're my child. Nothing's going to change that you're my child. I don't like what you're doing. It's going to, you know, it's going to end in destruction for you, and I can't help you beyond your willingness to make a, want to make a change but you're not looking at this kid totally de- relating to them based on their failures, are you? God's an even better father than we are and mother. Don't misread, don't read too much into that. Anyway, <laughs> mercy is God's kindness to not judge you for your sin. Grace is God's divine influence in your heart that brings new life. Grace is power. Grace is a strength. You know, unfortunately, when, like, Ted said, grace church. People don't really understand that term because most people's understanding of grace is actually what mercy is. And so we talk, when we talk about living in the Christian life and we talk about living under grace, most people hear permissiveness. In other words, well, you're kind of looking at the fact that you're going to fail as if it's, you have a permission to go ahead and proceed into failure because we misunderstand what grace really is. Mercy is God's capacity to look at you and say, well, you, you know, I wasn't so good there. However, I love you, and I will continue to walk with you, and I will hold you, myself, to the same standard that I hold you to, and that is I will forgive seven times 70 a day. In other words, infinitely. God forgives continues to, has already forgiven. He is not holding your sin against you. Is that fair? No, you deserve to have your sin held against you, but Jesus dealt with it for you. That's not grace. Grace is, you know, I kind of look at it like this. You need mercy after you fail, but grace is available before you fail. And it's not just to overcome sin. It's to live in the new life that you cannot experience on your own. All of the benefits of salvation that are available of what Jesus paid for are experienced by grace through faith. Again, I'm painting a real broad picture of what grace is. 
Maybe some of you have not heard the difference between what grace and mercy really is. And leaning into the power of grace is something new. You know, imagine if you eat something healthy and it gives you an energy. That's like what grace is. It's a spiritual power within you that gives you strength. How do you get it to work? The Holy Spirit will teach you. I mean, really, that's the most honest answer I can give you. But we can talk about it a lot. You know, one of the things, one of the keys, if we were to have some keys of how do I allow grace to empower me, it would be this. Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, in your imagination, what does that look like for you to offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Think, like, think about it. What does that visually look like for you? Some of you are artistic and there's kind of a Picasso half-jointed thing and you're like confused by your visual. Did too much acid back in the day and it's like... <laughs> but honestly, I want to ask you that question. What does it look like for you to yield to him as an instrument of righteousness? Imagine God's playing a guitar, you know, and he's just killing it, right? And... That's, he, he can play his righteousness through you. You're an instrument in his hands to see righteousness born into your life and reflected into this world. And it's not that he's using you. And, 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 and you know, because so then the idea of suffering and tribulation and all this kind of stuff comes up. The only kind of suffering that God's into is if you experience persecution because you are living your life for Jesus and you go into some place and you're proclaiming the gospel and there's a, there's a pushback to it, if you experience suffering in that way, that's the only kind of suffering that God ordains. God is not going to give you cancer so that you will suffer to bring Him glory. He's not going to take away your job. He's not going to take away your loved ones early so that you will endure and bring glory to Him because of how patient you were. Job repented of that mindset. But if you go into a place and you experience persecution and you remain faithful toward Him and he, you experience the power of His grace and you reflect His glory, no matter what you're dealing with, man, He's glorified, isn't He? I mean, think about these people that are going into these places and, and they are sacrificing their lives to bring the gospel. Those are our heroes. Cancer is not of God. Gosh, that's a whole sermon in itself. And so again, what is grace? It's this power that's alive in you. A couple more passages. We had some extra stuff going on. I know you guys got somewhere to be. What time do y'all need to hit the road? Because y'all are going to a couple different prayer things. Y'all got time? Everybody's good. All right. They got ministry to do today. First Peter 4, 8. Um, above all. Say above all. Above all. What am I supposed to do today, Lord? Well, above all, love each other deeply. I, God, I don't know how to fix this marriage. I don't know how to deal with this boss. I don't know what's going on with my kids, this coworker, my neighbor, myself. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Say without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Are you using your gift? Some of you are waiting to use your gift. 
Some of you are looking around thinking, well, there's no place here for me to use my gift. Don't let that be an excuse. Let's talk. Let's help you figure out a way to use that gift. Say, I'll use my gift. Use, use uh, whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the offices of administration within the church, and those are all graces, in other words, capacities that God has given to His church, and they're in various forms, and it's very diverse and dynamic, and when we all are expressing our gifts, it's a complete image of what Christ looks like in this earth. But when some of us aren't stepping out and expressing our gifts, it's an incomplete presentation. It's an incomplete portrait. There's chunks missing. If you are not stepping out and using your gift, the body of Christ in its capacity on this planet is incomplete. Now, that doesn't, shouldn't produce guilt. It's an invitation. There's an opportunity for me to use this gift. Some of you don't know what your gifts are, but you can love. So, um, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. You know, we read this passage last week as well, and I don't, man, that, man, what a privilege. Do so as if you're speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do, here's, here's kind of the main point of this particular reading today. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. What is that? Grace. grace. That is grace. It's charis. It's God's breath in you. It's God's power in you. It's God's supernatural spiritual strength that you can't muster up on your own, but you can live within. A patience rises up. A, a word of knowledge rises up. A, a, a business idea rises up. A wise thing in your marriage rises up. All of that stuff. Is a, is a fruit of His grace, and it's so sweet. Uh, do so in the strength that God provides. How do I do that? How many of you want to know how to serve in the strength that God provides? Well, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He just will. We'll give Him opportunities to do so. So that in all, how do you do it? Present your body. How do you do that? At some point, you just got to figure it out. I mean, really, you know? I'm telling you, so many Christians are sitting there waiting for the guy up front with the microphone to run his mouth long enough to tell you how to follow God. Don't do that. Stop it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I, I just hope to run my mouth long enough that something sparks for you and you're like, oh, that. And then you dance with God and it turns into a beautiful thing. And he gets all the credit and glory. Amen so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. A couple more. I actually have two. one more, and then I'm going to go back to that one. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is a picture of what it looks like to live under grace. Are you sick? Tired? You know, I love the message. Are you sick of religion? Burned out, worn out, like Sam said. People are tired of going to church because they're given these rules that are unattainable or judged. I'm telling you, the church is the most judgmental place on the planet. And it shouldn't be that way. And I love, I'm, I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to dog the church. I'm just saying we haven't used what our greatest weapon is, and that is love, not permissiveness. Grace doesn't go to a couple that is living contrary to God's predefined way and says, well, you know, it's okay. That's not grace. 
That's merciful to not judge and accuse them. I'm pointing at you guys. I don't mean you guys. I just you know. You know what I mean? Grace is not looking at someone who's in overt sin and saying, well, no. Grace is looking at them saying, look, let me tell you something. I want you to know how much God really loves you. And as you get the opportunity to explain who God is to them and what Jesus did for them, then they have an opportunity to grab a hold of what grace is and experience transformation. But you are not going to guilt and shame them into the desire for transformation. But love will open the door so they let the Holy Spirit lead them down that path. Amen? Jesus, this is Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Say rest. Take my yoke. Now, most people know what yoke is. It's like two, two oxes with a yoke on both of them, and they're both pulling together. Uh, you know, it's funny. When I, when I envision this, I actually envision one in front of the other. You know, it's always taught beside the other, and it probably is that too, but I, I imagine one in front of the other, and I'm behind Jesus, and I'm following him, and he's pulling. He's pulling the weight. I'm just kind of pulling along with him, you know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm following him with this yoke. We're together, but he's the one leading and pulling. So, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And another translation says, learn of me. You want to know how to get grace to work in your life? Learn of Jesus. Who is he? He's gentle, lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Easy and light. Amen? Amen. So following Jesus is not hard under grace. I wanted to reference this again. Do everything, really, in the strength that he gives you. All right, so homework. Expect God to give you strength when you're weak. There's a scripture missing in here. You got another minute? This is good. This is really good. Let me read this. This is Paul, thorn in his flesh, thorn in his side. He prays, asks God for help, and God says... Which means, in a lot of places, it means no. Like, here's how it's taught. And I'll ask you, raise your hand. Have you ever heard that taught this way? When Paul prayed and asked God for help, God said no. You ever heard it taught that way? Yeah. We might have some sacred cows to slay today. But I know I'm going long, but I'm telling you, it's good. And you're going you're, you're gonna to want to know this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above the measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh, this is Paul speaking, was given to me a messenger of... Wait a minute. Not God? A messenger of... Nobody wants to say that word. Like, Satan? A messenger of... Okay, so this is not from God. The thorn in the flesh is not from God. It's from Satan. To buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, why? So, so is God doing something to him to keep him from being conceited? Well, that, you have to stretch it to get it to say that because this messenger... Now, unless you think that God unleashes the devil into your life to do a few things and he reigns him back in... Now, there are some people that believe that way. 
you're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> Job repented from that mindset also. I guess we need to do a series on Job. So, uh, so it's from the enemy. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is that? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. There's been a huge teaching that's prevalent in the church. Even probably most people still believe this way, that God will let you continue to suffer through these difficulties so that you will learn in your weakness somehow to trust Him, and then He will get glory through your suffering. Now, God was glorified because Paul was being persecuted for his faith in this situation, but God is not saying, I'm not going to help you because your suffering will make me look good. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. What is grace? It's a power working in Him, strengthening above His own ability. And the secret that Paul learned is, Man, I didn't really realize that I don't have to ask God to show up and fix this external thing for me. What I can do is lean into this power that He has within me to strengthen me and sustain me through this thing, no matter what's going on around me. Because God, or Paul continued in and the persecution got worse, but he learned a secret. When I'm weak, Grace is powerful in me to push through this thing, not to, you know, just bare knuckle it, but there's a power available. Amen? I know this is, I know this is like really long, but I wanted to get all this in in the first one, and then we're going to kind of continue to unpack it. God will help you. So this, this is the last slide. Make room for God's grace. You know, so your homework is... When you wake up tomorrow morning or even later on in the day and you have the opportunity to go a direction that you don't want to go, in your mind, visualize what does it look like for me to yield every part of me to, look to the Lord to be used for His righteousness, right? To be strengthened by His... What does it look like? How do I do that? How do I stop and yield myself to Him to be used for His righteousness, now, it doesn't mean that he's, you know, we're not going to go back over. He's not going to try to hurt you to bring glory to himself. He's going to strengthen you so that you can stand no matter what. And there's, there's an idea that really it only takes two minutes to do. And if you can learn, if you can make this a discipline in your own life, I'm telling you, you can overcome every single temptation you ever face. Bold claim, right? You can. And it really only takes about two minutes. You stop, and sometimes it takes a little, you might have to exercise a little bit of self-control to create enough space for you to be empowered by the grace that will come in that moment. Expect His grace to be available. I don't care if it's sexual immorality or if it's that cupcake that's sitting in front of you that you know you shouldn't be eating. I mean, really, you know, we laugh, but like, what is it for you that's killing you? 
It's your diet. It's how you're responding to your perversion of sexuality. It's how you're handling your emotions because of this thing that happened to you. It's the pain and judgment that you're harboring against your parents that did this to you, that abandoned or abused. It's the boss that fired you unjustly. It's the system that's keeping you down. Whatever it might be, how you're responding to that might be killing you. And you can stop, and it really only takes about two minutes. You stop. Get a hold of yourself somehow. I've heard people that wear rubber bands on their wrist, and they pop themselves with a rubber band, you know. I mean, I, whatever. Whatever works for you, you know. Do something. Say, do something to stop yourself, turn your heart toward him, yield to him, you know, offer yourselves to him, not to try to get him to respond to you necessarily, but to realize, oh, there's actually another opportunity for here, for here for me to choose this grace. And it's like you stop in two minutes. It only takes, if you can change your focus off of that situation onto him, biochemically, your body will run the emotions that it's running in that moment. Those chemicals will run themselves out. And whatever you focus on for two minutes will begin to create a different system within you because most of your temptation is emotional. It's not the devil going, hey, don't you want to come over here and do this, you know? <laughs> come on, come on. You're like, no, I don't want to do that. Temptation comes from you and your desire. And most of it starts with an emotion that is associated with some other kind of issue going on you, going on in your life. But if you can stop, let that emotion run its course, then you realize, yes, there's a physical aspect that I'm doing here, exercising some self-control, but then there's this spiritual capacity that is alive within me. And each time you choose that, it starts to rewrite your programming. It rewrites your self-perception. It rewrites what you think is possible. It rewrites your natural baseline choices that you don't even think about, where you just naturally choose in that situation. I'm going to choose righteousness. I'm going to live within this holiness that he's given me, which is why you have to constantly remind yourself of who you are in him and what he's done for you. Because you believe the truth about yourself, you will make consistent choices, and then you will find the power of that grace is available beyond your understanding, and nobody can teach you how to do it, but it's theirs if you want to. It's there if you want to. And then Christians can live in such a way where we're not just trying to be better in our own strength. We're not just trying to keep God happy with our performance. We're actually living in this spiritual relationship with Him, strengthened by Him. You know, next week we're going to look at Ephesians 3. There's this power that He pours into our inner man that strengthens us. Don't you want His strength? Like, really, honestly, don't you want his strength? Yeah. Amen? So let's stand up and put our attention on him for just a minute. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to gather together, to worship you. It's a precious thing to see your church gather. We don't take it lightly. We want to see your glory in our lives. We want Jesus to get what he paid for. We want the world to see what a changed life looks like under the power of grace alive in the heart of a believer. We want, to be, we want to be free from all of those little things that are still holding us down. We're like, we're, we're, we're like Jesus said, the enemy comes and he's got nothing in me. Or I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I want to see your spiritual power working through me. I don't understand it. I have no clue how to get it to work, but you say it's available and I want it. Do you want it? 
So use the two minute thing. And in this moment right now, I just want you to ask the Father, you know, you don't have to hear a message. It doesn't have to be some spooky thing, but just lean into him just a little bit, acknowledge his presence and, and create a picture of what you're going to do. What does it look like for me to yield myself to him as an instrument of righteousness? I'm going to yield myself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Even just make that decision in your heart. I will yield myself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And his grace is available to empower me. And just say that I will choose your grace to bring glory to your name. Father, I thank you for this group listening today that came in to worship with us today. This whole church, Father, thank you for the people that are watching online. I speak abundance, generosity, blessing, health, and life. Father, I thank you that you're going ahead of them. Your favor goes before them. You're creating, you're creating a path that they cannot create on their own. And I thank you that you're giving them wisdom to follow you into abundant blessing so that you will be glorified through them. Father, I thank you that through our generosity, we are blessed to be a blessing on this planet. Say, I'm blessed to be a blessing. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to manipulate for offerings. I don't ever want to dangle some kind of fake spiritual law carrot out in front of you. I would just say, God loves it when you give cheerfully. He absolutely loves it when you love to give. And when you understand the power of generosity... When you're not afraid that what you give is going to create lack for you, but it's going to sow into, it's going to sow into the Kretsus going to Thailand. It's going to sow into motorcycles going around the world. It's going to sow into people watching online, these things that we're getting to do for them. I'm telling you, we get stories all the time, people watching all over the planet. We need to get better about sending, reading these emails in here. It's just, you know, it's worth sowing into. If you're getting something out of this stuff, sow into it. We want to get a building where we can expand and see more people come in and, and do more ministry and training and discipleship. Amen? Don't you want to see that happen? I'm not going to manipulate you or promise you something that's inappropriate, but just be generous. Amen? There's a blessing in generosity.